Welcome to Pull Up a Seat. I'm John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by the immortal Matt Feld. Matt, what's going on? What's going on? I got a smoothie in my hand, and I'm ready for battle. I'm inside. (laughs) There are no birds. Good, because that was a real issue last week. I mean, I have to admit, and I'm only going to say this because I want to use this word in conversation. I took umbrage with what you did last week. I I just thought I'd throw that out there. It caused quite the kerfuffle. It it did. Kerfuffle. Good word usage. All right. So, as always, we've got a lot to talk about on this week's episode because we're living in a world right now where there's a lot going on. So, I guess that's good for us. It gives us a lot to talk about. So, let's jump right into it. Uh, Matthew Feld, what is your icebreaker for this week? Well, my icebreaker has to do with The Last Dance, which I think we're going to talk about a lot today, but I think it's also on everyone's mind uh, with being it the only thing that's on TV that's worth watching these days, unless you want to watch Seinfeld for the 503rd time, which I'm all set about. Hey, 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 there's nothing wrong with that, especially in light of what happened yesterday when we lost the great Jerry Stiller. This is true. This is very true. By Uh, the way, I had a friend of mine that we both know who said to me that the reason he never got into Seinfeld is he just didn't like some of the actors on the show. He just well, That seems like amateur hour. Yeah, he just thought that, that they just didn't work for him. I'm like, okay, well, that's that's silly. I mean, look, if the show is good and the premise is good, who gives a crap who the actors are? You watch yeah. the show because of the premise of the show. It's designed to make you laugh, not for you to critique Jerry Seinfeld or Jason Alexander or whoever else was on the show. Yeah, but, I didn't feel I didn't feel a personal relationship. <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel a connection to Elaine Bennis. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but, I, but my, icebreaker, my icebreaker is the last dance, Michael Jordan. I find a lot of the back footage uh, fascinating. I, of course, was like three when the Bulls were winning titles. So right. I remember the goddamn thing from that era. <laughs> I find it fascinating. I find the dream team practices um, from a couple episodes, I think episode four, um, to be incredibly interesting. I am a little tired of like the total pro Jordan slant of the documentary, and I get that's what it's supposed to be. But, like, I've kind of had enough of, like, every time Jordan loses a game, he didn't get outplayed. There's some sort of, like, ulterior motive as to why Jordan <laughs> lost. Like, give me, like that I've had enough of. Like, Gary Payton just played better than you in one game. It's all right. In life right, in on, one you... game. But Gary Payton needs to stop acting like you shut him down in the series. Okay. That was, by the way, that was Jordan's worst final statistically. And he still averaged 27.3 points per game. No, all I'm saying is, is that sometimes you lose and it's all right. It's not the end of the world. You know, and some of the motivation stuff, like I'm all for it. I think it's unreal how much of of like a killer Jordan was. I think some of that stuff is pretty fascinating. (laughs) His His edge was legendary. There's no question about that. It is. It is. But like enough. Like you saw someone give you a high five. That's all the motivation I needed. Like, all right. Like I get it. I get the point. But overall, I find it very fascinating. And I do really enjoy it as someone who is really not alive uh, during the Bulls period. Well, it's interesting because you're right. I mean, I think that you got to remember before I make my point, he was involved in the production of this documentary. So clearly it was going to be more about him and and it was going to be pro Jordan and it was going to highlight his greatness. But look, here's the thing. It's also part of the, the, the myth of the great athlete, right? I mean, a lot of these stories tend to take a life of their own as time goes on. And, and and it's true in any arena though, right? Like people become even greater as time goes on because there is a sense of embellishment there. And there's no question. I mean, look, he had 
you can make the case that when it comes to an athlete who was competitive, you probably guys like him, Tom Brady, probably the greatest athletes of all time when it comes to having an edge and yes. playing with that constant chip on their shoulders. That being said, I agree. It, it is getting a little tiresome that every time he was slighted or something didn't go his way, <laughs> somehow that fueled him. And then the next game, he comes out and he drops double nickels on the Knicks. And it's, ah, see, that's what Jordan does. You piss him off, he makes you pay the next time. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like the Nets pissed him off. Like the net, he was, they were going to beat the Nets anyway. Like enough. Yeah, the, so Nets the, the, the whole thing with BJ Armstrong, former yeah. teammate, he, he barked at our bench and he trash talked. It's okay. Well, you know what? He played well. They deserved to win the game. They won the game. And by the way, that was not a very good Charlotte Hornets team. So the right. fact that they lost game one in that series was pretty telling. That being said, he's sitting there then in the locker room with the baseball bat, smoking a cigar, talking about B.J. Armstrong, and then t- secretly telling teammates how he's going to get back at him. Yet they were buddies. So th- that whole part of it, I think it speaks to the fact, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, but – I also think it speaks to the fact that he was he was kind of a prick. So, yeah, sure. But but we will get into that in a few minutes here. But my uh, icebreaker is this whole Josh McDaniels, Tom Brady thing. Look, let me dispel a couple of notions for people out there. I don't care what level of football it is, whether it be the NFL, college, or high school, there's always going to be some back and forth between an offensive coordinator and his quarterback, Okay. The quarterback's not going to be happy with the game plan. The quarterback's not going to be happy with with their role within the offense. The coach isn't going to be happy with the decision-making of the quarterback in a game. There's always that back and forth between an offensive coordinator and a quarterback. So these stories that supposedly there was a rift between McDaniels and Brady, and that's part of the reason why Brady chose him to come back, look, it makes for, for a great story now in a time when we have no sports to watch and there's nothing going on so it gives people something to talk about but realistically speaking if there was a rift between McDaniels and Brady I don't think it led to Brady leaving New England it's, it certainly wasn't at the top of the list of reasons why he left and if there was this rift well I hate to tell you man that relationship between a coordinator and a quarterback is like a marriage you have good days you have bad days you're going to have agreements you're going to have disagreements I think this is a total non-story. I think the local and national media, thanks a lot, Gary Myers, have blown this out of proportion. And I think, again, it's just another story that's out there to prove that Tom Brady was jaded and he felt slighted and he had had enough of the tyrannical Bill Belichick and and his Patriot way and he was going to free himself from the shackles of the Patriots. Enough. It's it's a non-story to me. And me talking about it as long as I have right now is giving that story way too much credence. Yeah, I agree with you. I think also it's just like, I think people are holding on to, you know, you know, Brady's just not a patron anymore. I think people need to move on. They have to get over it. I think that's just the way it works. Um, it will be interesting to see. I mean, I think the only thing left over from that is just whether McDaniels ever gets another head coaching job. That'll That's wait and see. But it's over. Brady left. Move on. Life goes on. Uh, well, maybe not in this situation, but uh, life goes on. And, uh, yeah, just get ready to watch Brady play with the box, and McDaniels is going to coach with the Pats, and that's just the way life's going to work from now on. So I'm, I've had enough of the whole story. Yeah, I agree. Well put. Look, people need to get over it. He's gone. He had a 20-year run here. It's the greatest 20-year run in pro sports history. Enjoy what he did here. 
And, and yep. he's going to come back eventually, and they're going to build the statue for him, and they're going to retire his number. And, you know, what? They, they'll stroke his yeah. – Right. They'll, they'll stroke his ego plenty, okay? But people yeah. need to move on. It's over. He's not coming through that door again. He's never going to play for the Patriots again. Done. If he does play for the Patriots, it's because he's going to sign the token one-day contract to retire as a Patriot, Okay. He's never putting on that uniform again and playing in a competitive game again. So it's over. Time to move on. All right. Now, let's shift gears now to everybody's favorite topic. COVID-19. COVID. 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 All right. Now, there was a report that I saw the other day, and I'm not sure if you saw it, that there are White House staffers that have tested positive for COVID-19. Finally, people around the White House are starting to wear masks. Your thoughts on that, yeah. Matt Feld? Yeah, I saw, I think, 11 Secret Service agents or something like that have been diagnosed with coronavirus. Uh, you know, Vice President Mike Pence, one of his aides, has it. Uh, I don't know if someone close to Trump has it or not. It seems to be ambiguous facts with regards to that. But it's certainly in the White House, close to the White House. Um, as you said, people are finally starting wearing masks. I mean, this to me is ridiculous. Mike Pence is like refusing to isolate and quarantine, which he should obviously be doing since one of his aides had it. Um, and it's concerning, obviously, that it's so close to the highest members of the federal government. Finally, as you said, they're wearing masks. I mean, it was unbelievable to see Trump and Pence going into these mask factories or whatever, not wearing a mask. It's like, and you know, you and I will be, you know, we'll do plenty of, not a lot of politics today, but plenty over the next couple of weeks. But the fact of the matter is the, the leaders of the government should be standing and, you know, kind of symbolizing what all Americans should be doing when they go out, which, as you and I have said, is wear a mask. So just wear the freaking mask. <laughs> Folks, I don't do masks, okay? I, I don't yeah. like the way they feel on my face, especially the day after spray tan. They can be very itchy, folks. It's a remarkable story to me. But, look, it's not a surprise. I think we all knew that this was eventually going to reach the White House. And when I saw the report, yeah. I wasn't like, OMG, the leaders of our country are at risk. It was only a matter of time. And this lends credence yep. to the notion that a lot more people probably have it than we know or think. And, and, and yep, again, I agree. And it's probably the way this is going to continue to play out. It's just one of those things that I think hits certain people harder than others. Obviously, the elderly. Yes. Obviously, people with underlying health conditions. Obviously, people with asthma. People that might have some weight issues. Obviously, it hits them a little harder than it'll hit others. But as we've seen, the coronavirus doesn't doesn't discriminate. It, it hits everyone the same, except some people deal with it in different ways than others. It will be interesting to see, though, that it will be interesting to see if this changes Trump's approach or if this changes Pence's approach. Look, they're Republicans, right? The whole premise of being a Republican is rugged individualism. I'm not afraid of no darn virus. This virus isn't going to yeah. touch me. I'm Mike Pence or I'm Donald Trump. Like, the bottom line is, look, just, just practice what you preach, okay? Put on the damn mask. Take the preventative measures. If an aide had it, self-quarantine for 14 days. Get the hell out of Dodge. Get away from people. Why wouldn't you do what you've been telling people to do now for the past two-plus months? It just makes no sense to me. 
I agree. Yeah, and it, like, that's the big thing to me. Put on the damn mask. Just get over it. It's going to be a new way of life, which we'll get to in a little bit for a long time. That's just the way life's going to have to work from now on. And also, as you have I said, as you and I have both said, it's better when those two are not on the screen anyway. So why don't you just self-quarantine for a little bit and help everyone? Yeah, unless there's more. I said that from the very beginning. I don't think they should be doing the daily press briefings. We get it. The virus is here. People are testing positive. People are dying daily. We understand that. It's an awful existence that we're living in right now. But we don't need to be reminded of it every day. So unless you're going to give us a legitimate update that's going to shed some light on what's going on and what you're going to be doing next, there's no point in having these daily briefings. I think it's a waste of time. Speaking of people who have daily briefings, we also get a daily briefing here in Massachusetts from our illustrious governor, Chuck Baker, the lawmaker, yesterday... He shared some information on a phased reopening in Massachusetts. Now, here's the thing. I saw the chart. The chart to me is stupid. First of all, it's a half-ass approach, in my opinion. Okay? You can tell that Baker doesn't really want to reopen things. He's not comfortable with the idea of reopening society again and trying to get back to normal. But he's doing it because, obviously, unemployment is high. And there's a lot of pressure on him to do it. So what did you think of this phase reopening? And do you think that we're actually going to start the process of opening up again come this Monday, May 18th? So I have no problem with the concept of phase reopening. I think every state is doing it. And I think that's the way you should do it. As you and I have said, you can't open everything at once. It's going to take time, et cetera, et cetera. This chart looks like a bad game of Monopoly. Like, don't pass <laughs> Yeah, it's like you're playing Candyland. Yeah, it's like, I don't know what's going on. Like, it's like open, stay vigilant. I, I don't know. Like, back Cautious, to normal. Cautious, vigilant, can't. new normal, which that term really go- pisses me off. But anyway. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But, uh, you know, as someone, you know, I'm going to have to give credit to the incomparable Matt Williams of the Salem News, who sent me a message last night that a fourth grader wouldn't get a freaking B if he turned this chart in (laughs) for earth science. Okay, I don't know what's going on here. All right. I think it's clear we're going to be really restrictive. And look, in the long run, we don't know. Maybe being restrictive early on will pay off in four or five months where other states that open quicker are having the fabled second wave. So who knows? But all I know is I do think we'll open some stuff on Monday. I think it's clear that after yesterday, I don't think he would have put that out there unless there was some plans to open some stuff Monday. Um, And again, I think we're talking about really big restrictions, whether some stores can open, there can only be five people in there at a time, whether, you know, you can go into a, you know, a bar, but only two people, I don't know, you know, but I do think it's going to be really restrictive. I think it's going to take weeks to get from phase one to phase two to phase three i'm going to be interested to see what happens with regards to parks and beaches um if those are going to be allowed to be reopened maybe not this monday but sometime in june uh but overall it's clear that this is going to be a very long process um obviously mayor marty walsh already canceled every sort of public gatherings in boston this summer including concerts parades sporting events with fans what have you yeah but he didn't cancel the marathon which i found to be interesting the cutoff date was labor day weekend so okay so that'll be interesting right we'll have to um so but overall i think you and i agree with this it's clear this is going to be a long process here and they're going to take it very slowly yeah no question and they have to you don't have a choice whether it's charlie baker or andrew cuomo or any other governor across the country it has to be a slow reopening. 
Now, one of the things that bothers me about all this is this term, the new normal. What the hell does that even mean? I have a real problem with this. And we talked about this before the podcast. What really bothers me with this is I feel like, okay, so this virus has happened. Obviously, it's going to change our way of life some way. But why do we need to reorganize society here? Why do we need to reinvent the wheel? Why does there need to be a new normal? Why can't it be something where we make subtle changes? Why does it have to sound like we're going to make these sweeping societal changes and become a a nation of germaphobes because of this virus? Because eventually there will be a vaccine. There will be treatments. Okay. And we will get past this. But when we get to that point, finally, why does this have to be a new normal? What the hell does that mean? I'm all, set. I'm all set with the phrase new normal, okay? I don't know what that means. This is like some bad Candyland game or something like you said. Or let's like Twister where you try to put all four limbs on your, your colored reopening face. <laughs> I don't know what that is, okay? From now on, do I have to wear like leather gloves when I pick up someone else's water bottle? Hey, I wore them water? the other day, by the way. I wore them to Best Buy to pick up a product I had ordered. And I roll up and I roll my window down. I've got my mask on and my leather gloves. There you go. I look like I was going to perform a hit and then clean up after. I was going to say, are you actually the Zodiac killer? Finally discovered. Uh, <laughs> no, I agree. I don't know what that means. Look, I've all said if we have to wear masks for like a couple, a year or two. I know that sounds dreadful to some people, but it just might be the way of life. You know, if that's the way the kids have to go back to school, people have to go back to work. What have you? That just might be, have to be the sacrifice we make. But I can't. The two-word phrases, new normal, social distancing, self-quarantine. I've had enough of that. When this is over, I don't want to hear about it ever again. I agree with you, man. Again, like I said, my issue with this whole thing is, is why is there this incessant desire to reorganize society here? Okay, I get it. This is going to change the way we do some things. Handshakes are probably going to become a thing of the past. Hugging may become a thing of the past. Okay, we're going to become a nation of germaphobes. We'll probably be more self-conscious about our hygiene and washing our hands and all these things. going to be a lot of Howie Mandels. (laughs) Right. But, But that being said, I don't think we need to reorganize society here. I think people need to calm the hell down. Enough is enough with this, with this mentality that when this is all over, you know, uh, remote learning could become the norm and this could become the norm and that could become the norm. And this will be a a thing of the past. No, it doesn't need to be any of those things. Calm the F down. Okay, relax. How about we get through this? How about treatments are developed? How about we develop a vaccine? How about we develop herd immunity? And how about we get past this instead of thinking up cockamamie ways that we can reorganize society and flip life on its head because we got a virus or because it was a pandemic which, by the way, if you look at history, happens about every hundred years, so we were due, okay? Like, it, it drives me crazy. That I, I can't, I'm with you. I cannot stand these phrases, and you normal, and quarantine, and social distancing. Shut up! Enough. Phase two, vigilance. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah vigilance. Yeah, 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 we need to have vigilance. It just, yeah. it, it drives me nuts. Enough. I agree. I agree. Enough. It, it it drives me enough to drink seltzer, okay? <laughs> Not alcohol, <laughs> seltzer. All right. Now, we're going to stay with the topic of, of COVID, even though 
We did tell our listeners last week, by the way, that we weren't going to be so COVID heavy. But, but we didn't know that. But 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 this was a Baker's announcement's big, so it's worth discussing. I agree. Yeah. And it, it, this is a pertinent topic. I mean, it's the world we're living in right now. So what the hell else are we going to talk about? Any chance yeah, we can throw the letter C-O-V-I-D out of the alphabet when this is over? Is that allowed? <laughs> it, it, it could happen. You know, we talked about the last dance earlier. I think we both agreed Jordan's a prick. But in order to be an all-time great, you have to be a prick. Yep, I agree. Tom Brady's a prick, too. They're all-time greats for a reason. You can't be an all-time great and be a nice guy. I agree. So. Whatever. Anyway, one of the things that is coming out of this whole coronavirus COVID-19 lockdown situation is that there is a shortage of meat and poultry. And I did not know this. I didn't know it until the other day when my wife went to Market Basket to get our our groceries. And that's what every good Greek family does. They go to Market Basket. Uh, She came home and she told me that she could only buy two packs of meat, two packs of poultry. So knowing that, Matt Felt, let's say that we could no longer eat meat or poultry, that there was a restriction on it, okay? Would you consider going to an all-vegan diet? And would you, and by the way, that's the name of this segment, would you, would you eat the following vegan meals if you had to go to an all-vegan diet? You ready? I'm prepared. So I'm going to give you the name of the meal, and you're going to tell me whether or not you would eat it and why. All right, so here we go. The first thing is dry falafel balls. Would you eat dry falafel balls if you were on an all-vegan diet? Well, it depends. Like, can I put them in a salad? Like, I think so if I would. I've had falafel in the past, and it's not bad. It's not, like, the greatest it's thing not, in the world. No. But- it's, like, it's, like eating, it's like eating the remnants of... Of, of the sawdust after you sharpened your pencil. Yeah, it could be worse. I mean, I've had worse food before. So I'd probably say if those are my options, I'd probably be toward the top of the list. I can throw them in a salad with some carrots and tomatoes and probably douse it in some, like, pesto dressing. I'd be all set. So I'll, overall, out of all the possible options of what I could eat, if I went on a vegan diet, which, by the way, you know, I, I'd probably start eating a basketball rim if I had to do that. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I will say yes, uh, I would. Okay, good. Yeah, I would eat it. I like falafel. Why not? You know what? You can put it in some pita bread, throw some lettuce, some tomatoes in there, a dressing. It's all set. You can make falafel tasty. I agree. I think we both agree on that. So yeah, I would would totally. I'm in on falafel. Next, would you eat the boiled veggie dog? And And if you saw what this thing looked like, I don't think you would. But since you don't know what it looks like, <laughs> would you eat the boiled veggie dog? No, I'm out on dogs in general. Uh, there's, I've only had one really good hot dog in my life. It's from my hometown in New York when I grew up. I still go there when I go home. I get it from there. Overall, they just make the perfect hot dogs, uh, grilled, uh, and it's just perfect. But overall, not a big dog person in general. I've never gotten the fascination. Like the old stereotype, yeah, let's go to a ball game and have a dog. Like, I'm all set. Like, no thanks. Uh, I'm, all, I'm all good on any dog, but now, especially the boiled vegan dog. I mean, I don't even, I, does it for, have like six different heads? Like I'm all set. No, thanks. Look, I'm going to cut right to the chase. When I saw this thing, it looked like a <laughs> penis on a bun. I'm not eating that thing. Okay. If things get that bad, I'll find something else to eat, but I'm not eating a boiled veggie dog. It looked disgusting. And I bet you it tasted just as bad. I'm out on boiled veggie dogs. No, thanks. Not interested. Uh, you know what? I'd rather eat the pencil sharpener remnants than eat a 
bo- a boiled veggie dog. I'm, I'm out on that. All right, now, would you eat vegetarian cheese? Would you eat vegan cheese? Uh, wow, I have no idea what that is. Um, I'm very skeptical at the moment. You might know it by its other name, cardboard. Yeah, no thanks. I'm going to say no. I feel like overall I can go day in, day out without like fiending for cheese. Uh, Occasionally, of course, you have like the bacon blue cheese burger or something like that, and I'm all for it. Uh, But overall, I think I can survive without cheese if I really had to. So no, I'm not going to sacrifice my tongue and my taste buds for vegan cheese. Look, I love cheese. I probably eat way more cheese than I should. Okay, but as much as I love it, I would not eat this crap. I'm not eating vegan cheese. I'm all set with that. Okay, because here's the thing. Look, I get it. If you're a vegan, you know what? You're vegan for a reason. But if I had to be a vegan because I had no other choice, because we have no meat, no poultry, no fish, there's certain levels that I'm willing to stoop to. That's not one of them. I'm not eating vegan cheese. That's off the table to me. All right, next. This is, by the way, a vegan alternative, so I want to stress that. Would you eat tempa? T-E-M-P-A-H. Tempa. It is a vegan alternative. That's not tempura. I'm just getting... No, it is not tempura. Tempura is awesome, by the way. It is. You could literally go out in your backyard, grab a stick, put it in tempura batter, fry it, (laughs) and eat it. It'll taste great. Pretty much. Uh, no, yeah. I don't know what, again, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what these foods are. And I eat a lot, um, which people might come to my surprise considering the fact that I'm right. If they met you, they wouldn't think you eat them. And I like almost every food, but I have no idea what tempa is. So I don't eat anything that I don't know the name of. And so I'm going to pass right now. The only thing I'm really comfortable with right now is the falafel ball. Sounds like I'm just going to turn into falafel. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to pass on tempa as well. When I saw this thing, it, it looks like you'd be eating Formica. I'm all set with tempa. Again, here's the thing. If I'm going to be a vegan, a, a big part of my diet, if I were a vegan, would center around chickpeas, uh, beans, things like that. Okay? I would not be venturing into vegetarian cheese and tempa or this next item I'm about to, to throw at you. I wouldn't go down that road. I'd keep it nice and simple. And again, keep in mind that if this continues, we may all have to resort to a vegan diet here. You never know. All right. All right. Finally, and this is an all-American product that everybody knows. And I, and you know what? When I was doing my research for this week's episode, I'm like, I wonder if this product exists. And sure enough, it exists. Would you eat veggie spam, Matt Fell? I'm not even going to give an explanation. No. <laughs> so you're going to leave it at that? Yeah. Veggie spam? No. I, no. Uh, I have guidelines here, John. Okay. There are some, like, you know, I, I'm willing to eat a lot of things. All right. But there are some, you know, qualifications and things like, no, I am not eating veggies. What? No. So you're drawing the line at veggie spam. Yeah. Yeah, no thanks. Look, I don't blame you. I wouldn't eat regular Spam. And by the way, Spam is making a comeback. I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever you turn your TV on now, there's Spam on a grill and you see somebody place a piece of cheese on it. And all of a sudden, the guy puts it on toasted bread. He cuts it in half and he put, takes a bite. And he's giving you this 
this look like he's really enjoying it, which I think is is crap. Okay, <laughs> spam is literally meat jello. I'm all set with spam, and don't tell me that that freaking jamoke is enjoying spam, much less vegetarian spam. No thanks. I'm all set with that. I have no interest in eating meat jello. I wouldn't have veggie spam either. Look, more of the story here is we need to make sure that our meat production and our poultry production continues. We need to get out of this shortage, if you will, because if we have to resort to a vegan diet, while our bodies would appreciate it and people would be healthier, it would freaking suck. No thanks. I have zero interest in a vegan diet. Yeah, I'm out. I'm I out. certainly wouldn't eat any of this crap other than the falafel. I'm all out. I'm out. I'm out on the vegan diet. I'm all set. No thanks. Have a good one. All right. Well, I that you know that was a good first rendition of Would You. We're going to be doing Would You again uh, in the coming weeks here on Pull Up a Seat. All right. Uh, time for a closing thought. You ready? I'm prepared. So well, I'm I did the first ice breaker, so I think you give the first closing thought. Well. The closing thought, we both speak to the same topic, remember. Oh, that's true. Don't forget. Icebreaker, it's we give uh, we give our own topic that we kind of want to use to to start the conversation. This is us giving our opinion on one last topic. All right. Now, baseball is proposing radical changes for a potential abbreviated season. So I ask you, Mr. Baseball, and you're as baseball as it gets in my life. I don't have too many other friends that are the baseball folk that you are. Are you a supporter of these potential changes? Do you even know about some of the changes that have been proposed? Well, I think I, I think I know most of them. I might not know every single intricate detail, but over then what the hell are we doing here, Phil? <laughs> yeah. Overall, I'm all for it. I'm all for any way to get these players back on the field if possible, for this 82-game season. The National League would pick up the designated hitter in a shortened season. It would be a good test to see if it would work. I think everyone anticipates at some point the National League to take the DH as well. But in a shortened season, you'd get to really see um, kind of a, a little t- trial run to see what it would look like. I think it would be um, a huge bonus. The huge problem here is going to be the players are going to have to take severe salary cuts, which as of now they're not willing to do. I think at some point they have to get over their egos and realize instead of making $8 million this year, they might make $3.5 million. There's a lot of people that aren't making any money. Suck it up. Get on the field. Make what money you can because if there is no season, you're not making any money. These teams are some teams, people laugh, are actually in desperate need of revenue somehow, some way. In order for the sport to stay solvent, as we all know, it's been in a lot of trouble. I'm all for any way for yourself to get back on the field. So the Major League Baseball owners, the Players Association, what have you, the union, the agents, everyone from the league all down, executives have to get in a room, figure it out. If there's a way to play the season and the health experts are for it, find a way to play. Because if you don't, it's a wildly missed opportunity when everyone is craving to watch something on the screen. I couldn't agree with you more. I love the idea of having the DH in the National League. I think it's going to be awesome. I hope it's the impetus to permanently add the DH to the National League. And I'm with you on the players. And Scott Boris, of course, has come come out and railed against them taking pay cuts. What a surprise. Mr. Super Agent doesn't think the players should take a pay cut. Because if they take a pay cut, that means he's taking For one a pay year, cut. for like three for no months. months. It's such a joke. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think the whole thing is ridiculous. And I will say this, I think it'll be a really bad look for the players if we don't have baseball this year when we could have had baseball because they're not willing to take pay cuts. 
like you said, everyone else is either taking a pay cut or being furloughed. You're not immune to this, okay? And no pun intended with the immunity comment there, but they're not immune to taking pay cuts either, yeah. okay? It's a fact of life right now. It's the world we're living in. And so I think it'll be a really bad look for them if this doesn't happen because they were too greedy to want to give up some money to make it happen. You're not playing right now anyway. Why should you get paid? What difference does it make? Like you said, if you're a guy who's making $7 million a year, now you might make $3.5 million a year. Oh, no. I think you'll be fine. Okay? So I have a real issue with that. That being said, look, I want baseball. I'm craving baseball. We need baseball. We need sports right now. Anything would suffice. I'm sick and tired of watching old games and throwback games. But the bottom line is Rob Manfred, the league, the players union, Tony Clark, they need to sit down and figure this out. Because if baseball, let's say, could come back by the 4th of July, America would appreciate it. Even if there's no fans in the stands, we would appreciate some semblance of baseball. And by the way, what did I tell you last week? Nobody gives a shit about the KBO. Nobody's watching (laughs) it. That was a fly-by-night thing. It was a one- or two-day thing where there was this fake enthusiasm, and all of a sudden, no one's talking about it anymore. So we need American baseball to come back. They need to figure this out. Now, as far as the other sports are concerned, who knows what's going to happen with the NBA. I think the NHL is toast. I think the NFL is going to take this to the last possible second before they have to make a decision. Their plan is still to play. We'll see how that plays out. But if we can get baseball back at least by early July, that would be really nice. Hopefully they can work it out. Well, that's it for this week's episode. But before we go, just want to let you guys know that you can follow us on Twitter. Facebook and Instagram. You can follow me at UFTBJ. You can also follow Matt Feld at MattyFeld612. And you can follow the show at Pole Seat. At Pole Seat. We wanted to keep it simple for you guys. Okay. At Pole Seat. Well, that's it for this week's episode. For Matt Feld, I'm John Serenitas. We'll talk to you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>